So today is the fourth Sunday of Advent, uh, and we've been working our way around the various candles on the Advent wreath. Now, you may remember when we first started that uh, I shared with you that the four candles around the outside of that Advent wreath correspond to the first four fruit of the Spirit that Paul writes about in Galatians when he said the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and patience, and patience is the same thing as hope. So we've got a little bit backwards. But the candles around the outside of the Advent wreath uh, are, go a little bit different. Uh, they, they, they go backwards, and I'm going to explain again why that takes place. But see, love comes first in the fruit of the Spirit, because after all, it is love. Uh, that's the primary fruit of the Spirit. And it's the most important fruit of the Spirit, and it really kind of encompasses everything else. But love... Uh, when we uh, lit today, uh, comes last um, <clears throat> because around the outside of the Advent wreaths because love is also the most important of these. And in Advent, we're working our way towards the most important aspect of Christmas, which is what? All about love. God's love for us in Christ. Now, we're going to look at a, a variety of different Bible passages today um, as we look at uh, love as it relates to Christmas. But we're going to start, kind of our base is that section of scripture that Lair has already read to us. Now, as we have seen so far, hope is an important part of Christmas. Uh, you know, if you're a little kid, you're like, I hope it gets here really quick. You know, I've got that hope. I'm looking for what's happening. Uh, peace is also a very important part of the Christmas story. And certainly joy. Uh, we'll probably sing joy to the world next week. But now we come to love. And let's, let's be honest, love is the most important thing about Christmas. In fact, so we're going to look at four different aspects of love this morning. We're going to look at Joseph's love for Mary. We're going to take a look at uh, Mary's love for Jesus. We're going to take a look at God's love for us. And then we're going to take a look at uh, our love for one another and really how that love for one another finds its way out the front doors of this place to love everyone surrounding us. After all, there would be no Christmas at all if there would not be any love. And all four of these are very important parts of our Christmas story. So let's start with the uh, with Joseph's love for Mary. This is kind of complicated when you think about it. I mean, his love for Mary is uh, an incredibly important part of the Christmas story. It, I know a lot of people, you know, say, well, Joseph's love for Mary. Well, of course, he loved Mary. They're engaged. They were going to be married. Uh, but, you know, slam the brakes on for a moment because it wasn't as simple as that. Yes, they were engaged or betrothed to be married, but that didn't necessarily mean that Joseph loved her. In those days and in this time, people often got married for other reasons besides love. Uh, their spouse's parents typically decided it's time for getting Bob out of the house and getting, uh, you know, Nancy out of the other house. And we just got to hook them together. It's kind of a, a, a marriage for convenience. It was more of a, a social sort of a thing. It was an economic relationship as opposed to, you know, being romantically based. So the question is, how do we know that Joseph actually loved Mary? Now, I'm suggesting that we know because of his response when he figured out, found out, that must have been an interesting day for him at the carpenter shop, when he found out that his engagee was pregnant and he knew it wasn't his child. 
because as scripture says, they had not come together yet as husband and wife. So as far as Joseph knew, she had been unfaithful to him and he must have felt completely betrayed in this mess. And he he, he had every right to be angry. He had every right to be upset with her. And then he pauses because, you know something, Joseph had about three options in this case. Option number one was, well, I guess I could go ahead and marry her anyway. I know the child's not my own. But there's a but in that little, that little thought. But that would have gone against his convictions of a man who was committed to God to do marriage God's way. No matter how much he might have loved Mary, he needed to put this relate, his relationship to God first. So that was kind of option number one. Option number two is he could have drug her before the tribunal in town, knowing that she would be tried for what? Adultery. Uh, this would have been a pretty vindictive move when you think about it. And at the very least, she would have been publicly distra- disgraced and uh, she could have even been stoned to death for committing adultery. So what did Joseph choose? He's got two choices. Well, how about option number three? Instead of marrying her in defiance of God's commands and instead of bringing her before the judges as an act of revenge, he thought about what was best for Mary in this particular situation. Indeed, he got a special message from an angel said, don't worry about this, we can take care of this. And so rather than to... um, expose her to public disgrace he thought he would divorce her quietly and sure people would still know and talk about her that was unavoidable at least but she wouldn't go through public humiliation so Joseph who had several options finally learned of the option maybe it would be the fourth option don't worry this baby's not yours but this baby's going to be Jesus and all the things are going to be even better See, that he follows Paul's advice. And Paul's advice in 1 Corinthians 13 is one for us always to follow, and that is love always protects. And in that little thing, how did Joseph love Mary? Well, he was protecting her. He was protecting her, uh, even though he initially thought that he, she'd been unfaithful. So Joseph's love for Mary is our first example of love at Christmas time. But let's look at the second one. This is Mary's love for Jesus. Um, Luke chapter 2, Christmas story. While they were there, of course this is Bethlehem, time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in claws, or I think the old uh, King Jimmy, this is just for Jeff today, swaddling claws, claws, and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the, I love the Greek word better, kataluma, the guest room. Uh, in the guest room, and that's a whole other subject we, I could talk about later. But this is the whole center of the Christmas story. Mary gives birth to her firstborn. It's a baby boy. For nine months, she had carried that little one. She had nourished that child, actually, with her own body. And she felt every move, every kick, every little wrestling moment inside of her. Uh, Mary had gone through those nine months of pregnancy, uh, the hard sacrifice of labor, Uh, the pain of childbirth, and now here she is holding her newborn little baby boy. And she does what every mama wants to do, wrap him up and cuddle him and love on him. And she lays him in this manger. 
it's almost as if she looked at him and says, how can I not love this little guy? Those of you that have been through those things, you, you know what that's like. Man, look at this. I mean, today's my grandson's 34th birthday, and I still remember when Joshy Boy was born because they were living with us at that time. And you see that new little one, you say, man, how can I not love this kid? And you've had that same experience with your kids or grandkids, or maybe you've got even grandkids. And so um, Mary's love for Jesus is also indicated by a whole lot of other things in Scripture. For example, when the shepherds finally showed up, uh, visited Joseph and Mary, and they went around all of Bethlehem spreading the good news that the uh, Savior had been born. In Luke 2.19, we read that Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Now, let's go back into uh, the original languages for a moment. I kind of like some of these words. The word treasured is sonterio in the Greek. It's a word that means to preserve or to keep in mind, uh, or even to keep thinking about something so much that you'll never, ever forget this. It also says she pondered them in her heart, and that word is sumbalo. It's a word that means to bring together or to think deeply about this or to reflect on something. And so together, these these words tell us that Mary did not want to lose a single thought about this little baby that she'd been given birth, that she'd given birth to. And so she kept running through all of these events in her life over and over and over again so that she would not forget anything. And she thought deeply about these things, uh, bringing all the memories together and wondering, what does this mean? I mean, her love for Jesus is also uh, revealed by the words Simeon spoke over Jesus and Mary in the temple. Now, I'm going to put it this way. Do you remember hearing about Simeon last Sunday? No, you don't, because I wasn't here. (laughs) So I'm going to paraphrase a little bit of last Sunday's sermon. Uh, God had promised Simeon, this old dude who lived kind of in the temple, that he would not die until he had seen the Messiah. And so God's spirit moves Simeon to enter the temple on the very day that Joseph and Mary bring Jesus to the temple to be presented to the Lord. And here Simeon spots Mary and Joseph, goes over and takes little baby Jesus and prophesies over him. And then he's, then after he prophesied over Jesus, he turns to Mary and he says this in Luke 2, 34 and 35. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And look at that next sentence. And a sword will pierce your own soul, too. Not a real happy, clappy comment. In effect, Simeon told Mary that there are going to be some difficult days ahead for this little baby that she loves so much. And Mary, I'm sure, had no idea whatsoever how difficult it was going to be. But Simeon gave her this warning that a sword would pierce her own soul as well. And true to this prophecy, Mary suffered greatly as this little baby boy Jesus grew up to be a man. Can you imagine raising Jesus in your house? I mean, he, he was no ordinary son. I mean, after all, he was the son of who? The Heavenly Father. As he reminded Mary when they were in the temple one time, when they, they couldn't find Jesus, and they finally found him in the temple. Said, oh, Jesus, why did you do this? What did Jesus say? 
Didn't you know I was going to be in my daddy's house? I'm sure that went over big on the trip home. And he operated by his own timetable and not hers. Remember the wedding at Cana when Mary comes up and he says, Jesus, Jesus, they're out of wine. What did Jesus say? Woman, what's that got to do with us? Whoa. And when Jesus' crowds drew such big numbers that he and his disciples couldn't eat, his family thought he was nuts. And they, they went to get him and drag him away not to a rest home, I guess, somewhere. And when it came time for Jesus to die, where was Mary? She was right there at the foot of the cross, watching her own son suffer and die in shame. So Simeon's prophecy was absolutely and brutally true. A sword would pierce Mary's own soul, too. Now, why is that? Because her son was destined to suffer and die. And she loved that little guy from birth, from conception, we could say, to the day he died. That's the second aspect of love, Mary's love for Jesus. But here's the third one. This is God's love for sinners. We got in here today and we got a room full of them. This is the heart of Christmas when you think about it. Joseph's love for Mary, Mary's love for little baby Jesus are important, but they're not the most important of all. The central message is God's love for broken people. And this is very evident when you go back and you look at Scripture again. You go back to Matthew 1. She will give birth to a son, and you will give him the name Jesus. Now, we've talked about that before. In the Old Testament, he probably would have been called Joshua, our grandson's name. Yeshua, or in, in the Greek, Esos. It just means that he's going to be a person who saves his people. He saves them from their sins. So why was Jesus born? Why do we celebrate it this coming next Sunday? Well, it's all wrapped up in his name. We do it because of Jesus. It's not Santa. It's not elves. It's not Christmas cookies. It's not wrapping paper. Uh, it's not what's coming through Amazon Prime. It's Jesus. That's what Christmas is all about. Savior. Salvation. He came to save us from our sins. You all know John 3, 16 and 17. Most people know John 3, 16, but they sometimes don't remember the next verse that follows. It says, what God so what? Loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And then he goes on and adds in verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. What's the best Christmas gift you've ever been given? Uh, we could kind of go around that and say, what's the best thing you ever got for Christmas? And we'd all talk about uh, the year I got a, a tie or the year I got this sweater. Or, uh, my husband bought me a watch or uh, who knows. Um, but the greatest gift at Christmas is the gift of God's son. That's why we gather together next Sunday to celebrate. Uh, God gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's John three sixteen and 17 again. So he didn't merely come into this world. He was literally sent into this world. Sent. Sent his son. That's what God did. Not to condemn, but to save people like you and me. The, the entire population of this world, past, present, and future. So if you ever doubt that God loves you, and believe me, as a pastor over almost 40 years, you know, in the kind of teaching ministry for, you know, 
50-some years, it seems like. Yeah, it's a long time, over 50 years. I've had a lot of people, you know, young people, students of mine in grade school, high school, didn't think God loved them. I, you know, what do you say to somebody? He says, I don't think God really loves me. Well, look at his son, Jesus. That's the, you don't think God loves you? Look at his son, Jesus. Look at Jesus, the child born into the world as a baby at Christmas. Look at Jesus, the man who taught people and preached the good news of the kingdom and healed every disease and every sickness among the people. Look, look at Jesus, the Savior. Look at the cross. Look at the, his suffering in his death on the cross for your sins. Look at Jesus, the king, the one who rose from the dead, who ascended to heaven, who's coming back to take you home to be with him so that you will be with him forever. And then, and then tell me you don't think God loves you. You take that. I don't know how you could. I don't know how you could ever even think God doesn't love you if you just knew those four things. See, nothing, not a thing. You know, if you wake up in the morning, I don't think God loves me today. Why not? Well, you weren't with me tomorrow, yesterday, and blah blah blah. And I, <clears throat> well, open up your Bibles. This will make Mark Hunsaker happy. I'm going to quote the Book of Romans this morning. Romans chapter eight. One of the greatest Bible passages there is, although everyone from Genesis 1 all the way through Revelation is pretty cool too. Romans 8, for I am what? Convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from what? The love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can't get away from God's love. You can run as fast as you want. You can swim as far as you can. You can climb the highest mountain. You go to the depths of the sea. And you cannot get away from the love of God. That's what Christmas is all about. It's all about love. But the most important part of the story is God's love for people like you and me and the rest of this world. Sinners. God so loved the cosmos, the world, that he gave his son so that we wouldn't die, but we'd have eternal life. Now, we've looked at Joseph's love for Mary, Mary's love for Jesus, God's love for sinners. But there's one more aspect of love at Christmas time, and that is our love for one another. The Bible makes it pretty clear uh, and unbreakable, pretty, makes a pretty clear and unbreakable connection between God's love and our love for each other. First John 4, another great Bible verse. This is love. So you want to know what love is all about? Not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. He's the one who, you know, when he said it is finished, the Greek word is tetelestai. It was what an accountant did that basically said paid in full. That's what happened on the cross. He's the atoning sacrifice. He is the, the final payment. Dear friends, since God so loved us, what does it say? So we ought also to love one another. Now, in that Bible passage, notice that God's love comes first. And it always comes first. God's love in creating the world came first. God's love in promising a Savior. Then, you know, Genesis 1, we only get, only get two chapters to chapter 3 before then God says, by the way, I'm going to send you a Savior as well. 
then God sending his son in Matthew, Mark, Luke, as you read the, the Christmas story. And then God's love in Jesus as he dies on the cross. He's always gone first. He's never last. He's never behind the times. He's never coming up and having a press agent trying to explain to you what he was thinking. It's all in his book. He went first. Well, and if God loved others so much that he would send his son Jesus to die for them, how can you not love all people? I've used this phrase so often in the last two, two and a half years, this whole COVID nonsense and politics and everything. You know, we are not called to be condemners. We are not called to be condemners. We're called to be gospelers. And what's the essence what's the essence of gospeling? It's to talk about the love of God in Christ Jesus. It's to talk about the love he has for us. And in turn, talk about the love that we actually have for all people. To not look at them differently. You have no idea how many times over the years I've had people say, why do you waste your time in prison? I've had people say, why do you waste your time going overseas to these people? Why don't you just stay here and, and, and take care of us? Like a little baby. Meh, meh, meh. I said, because those people need to hear about Jesus too. You guys hear about Jesus more often here in this church than anybody. Why shouldn't people in Russia? Why shouldn't people in Kazakhstan? Why shouldn't people in Nigeria? Why shouldn't people who have been locked up for 35 or 30 or 40 years not hear about the love of Jesus? Yeah, but they're criminals. Yeah, so are you. What? Yeah, you evil, wicked, bad, nasty person. How many sins did you do yesterday? Well, not as bad as sins. Hey, come on, sin is sin is sin. That's a quote from my teaching partner when I tried to bail out on sin one time. She accosted me in public in front of 50 guys. What did you say? You ought to know sin is sin is sin. Yes, (laughs) ma'am. We just need to understand those things. See, Christmas is not only a reminder about how much God loves us. It's other people, too. That's why it's kind of cool yesterday. You know, we've been doing this the third week of uh, the month over at uh, White River. It's an opportunity to show love to people. There's some pictures that were on the screen before the service this morning, you know, decorating cookies and everything, and watching a bunch of little kids around and enjoying some other people. God's love is for everybody. It's not just that reminder about us. It's an opportunity to share that with other people. I had a phone call from Bubba Gum yesterday. Bubba says to say hello. He can't wait to get out of prison. <laughs> I'm afraid someday he's going to just break out and end up back there. But he, he, he says, I can't wait to come and see the people of Restore. I can't wait to come. Get this. And to walk the neighborhoods around Restore and tell them about Jesus. I'm like, okay, Bubba. <laughs> okay, Dennis, you understand what's going to happen here? Uh, you know, you're going to not, you're going to be the old non, non-white face around here for a while. But Bubba's got a heart for lost people. Always has, probably always will. We had a little conversation where he said, "I'm not sure I want to go back home." And I said, "You've got people back home that don't know about Jesus." And there's a little silence on the phone. <laughs> yeah, Doc, you got me again. I said, well, I'm just telling you that there's some people back home who don't know Jesus. They need to have you walk around that neighborhood, too. We need to walk around all kinds of neighborhoods. So my question is, 
Is there someone you need to help this Christmas with the good news of Jesus? Is there someone you need to reach out to this Christmas with the love of Jesus? Is there someone you need to forgive this Christmas because of the love of Jesus that forgave you? See, God showed his love at Christmas by sending his son into this world as a sacrifice for what we say our, but I could might as well say for my sins. For your sins, Bo. For Sarah's sins. For people who aren't here today because they're ill. He, he died for their sins. He, he died for your sins. He died for all the sins of the people who played for the Kansas City Chiefs, for heaven's sakes. And even my Nebraska Cornhuskers. So the question is, how will you show Christ's love to other people this Christmas? And I've just given you your topic for talkback time.